My name is Dwayne Arledge. I'm the Connections Pastor at Fellowship of the Rockies. Pastor Charlie's on vacation this week. We'll resume the Shaken uh, sermon series next week. Uh, but today it's my privilege to be able to share with you. How many of you have ever been admitted to a hospital? Nobody? Or did you go to sleep during Christina? How many, oh, let's try it one more time. How many have ever been in the hospital? Oh, there we go. Now you're awake. Okay, you go to the hospital, and when you're checking in, there's staff there waiting on you, and different, all different titles, name tags, and then you get up to the floor, wherever you're going to be put into a room, and there are nurses, there are doctors, there are other staff, there are lab people who come through and stab you with needles and that kind of thing. All of those have titles. You're the one in the bed. What's your title? Patient. Let me read the definition. Right off dictionary.com. Now, English teachers, if, you, if you're an English teacher or one of those word nerds or something like that, stick with me for a minute here, okay? I'm, I'm going to complete this. But here's the definition of patient. Bearing hardship, pain, delay, misfortune, etc. with calm and without complaint, anger, or any such emotional response. Now, if you're a real word nerd or an English teacher, uh, you're saying, oh yeah, but that's the definition for patient as an adjective. Well, but does that describe you when you are a patient? How many of you, okay, a lot of you raised your hands. Now, I just read the definition of what it means to be like a patient person. How many of you were that when you were in the hospital? Let's see your hands. One person. Check her, see if she's telling the truth. Okay. <laughs> look, look, just so the English teachers don't get bent out of shape, let me read the definition for the word patient when it's a noun. That simply means a person who is under medical care or treatment. Now, I know that's what is meant when they say, well, I was a patient in the hospital. But you don't ever hear people say, I was patient in the hospital. Or when I was ill, I was patient. Or when I had this sickness or this problem for a long time, I was patient. They might say, I was a patient under the care of this doctor or this team or whatever. The, the interesting thing to me is, I looked. It's the same Latin root. I'm trying to figure who decided to use that word for the person who's sick, who's having all the problems, who's under the medical care, who's in the hospital waiting a day and a half for lab tests and all of that kind of stuff that happens. Somebody must have been out of their mind when they used that word. Or they were making a joke and it stuck. It wasn't, I, I know this, it wasn't a doctor or a nurse who gave the people in the bed that title. Uh, my wife was, uh, was in the medical profession for years. We have tons of people here who are in the medical profession. I dare say none of you would describe the people you take care of with that word as an adjective. Oh, they're a patient person. Not very many of them. Not very many of us. But what about when we're going through other situations in life? Circumstances we don't like. In fact, something comes into our life and we hate it. We do not like it for one second. We try to throw it off in those situations, not just being in a hospital, okay? That's just a jumping off point for the, that patient word. But are you patient? 
Are, are you, could you be described as filled with God's grace? Or do you get upset with God? Or do you get upset? I, I should be including me here. Do we get upset with God? Because I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to me. Or God's talking to me in this passage of Scripture we're going to study today. Do you get upset with those around you? Does everybody around you know that you're ticked, you're bent out of shape because you don't like the situation you're in? And does it negatively affect your work or your home, your family, your friends? What do you do when you realize the situation you're in is not just for a few days? It's for a lot of days. It may not be for a few weeks. It may be for a lot of weeks. And what do you do when you realize Maybe it's going to be for months or years. Have a guy in the Old Testament, a young man. His name is Joseph. He was stuck in a situation for decades. And we're going to see what happened to him, how he responded. And I really believe God's going to teach all of us, beginning with me. He's been teaching me for the last three weeks as I studied this. He's going to teach all of us today. Something about living under hard circumstances. Things we wouldn't choose. First, the guy's name is Joseph. You can turn to Genesis chapter 39. You can open it in your uh, smartphones or your tablets or or your uh, antiquated paper and leather-covered Bibles. Whatever you have, okay? I have all of those, so I'm not picking on any one of them. But you can open it. And be waiting in Genesis chapter 39. Now, I'm going to tell you some of the story that comes up to that so we don't read uh, just paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. But I want you to get the story of Joseph. It's a long story, and it's pretty involved. But we first meet him in Genesis chapter 17. His dad is what I call one of the big three. That is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the lineage of the nation of Israel. In fact, His dad, Jacob, was the guy who wrestled with an angel of the Lord. And God changed his name from Jacob, schemer, trickster is what that name meant. He changed his name from that to Israel, prince with God. And the nation of Israel came through the lineage of Jacob or Israel. That's how the nation of Israel got their name. So that's his father. That's his grandfather and great-grandfather, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you have the picture of who this guy is. 17 years old when we first meet him in Genesis chapter 37. He was his dad's favorite son. There were 12 boys in the family, and Jacob was the favorite one. And his dad didn't hold back. He made it clear Jacob was his favorite one. Uh, He was the, the first son of his favorite wife. Now, Guys, for us, that better be the one and only, uh, the favorite wife. Uh, Jacob, this was kind of whacked. I won't get off into this, but, you know, there were four wives or two wives and two maidservants, and it, it was just crazy stuff, okay? But he decided that he's going to show favoritism to Jacob, uh, to Joseph. Jacob is going to show favoritism to his son Joseph. And so he gets him this coat of many colors, a lot of the translations of the Bible said. I'm kind of a child of the 70s, you know, as an old geezer. So I think of this kind of psychedelic tie-dyed thing. 
I know that's kind of kind of has come back, but nothing quite as psychedelic as in the 70s. Uh, I thank God we're past that. But I get a picture of you know that kind of thing. Like everywhere he went, people when he walked in the room, they went, "Whoa, you know, Jake, uh, Joseph's here." And so everywhere he went, they were reminded, the brothers were reminded that they weren't the favorites. Joseph was. Now, on top of that. Joseph had these dreams, and he didn't keep them to himself. He told everybody about them, and especially his family. So the first dream that the Bible tells us about, there are two the Bible tells us about. They were out at harvest, and they were all uh, harvesting these large, tall stalks of grain. And they were gathering them into these bundles of grain. And they all had bundles of grain, and the brother, the 11 brothers, their big bundles of grain bowed down to Joseph's bundle of grain. Hey, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he's telling his brothers they're going to bow down before him. Well, they, that went over really poorly. And so then he had the audacity to tell them about another dream he had. He said, in this other dream I had, the sun and the moon and 11 stars. How many brothers? 11 brothers. 12 kids, Joseph's one of them, do the math here, okay, 11 brothers. And so we've got a sun and a moon and 11 stars, mom, dad, 11 brothers, and they're bowing down to Joseph. Now, his dad had had some pretty spectacular dreams himself. I suspect, I can't prove it from Scripture, but I suspect that his dad knew something was up. His brothers just hated him. But his dad pulled him aside and said, Hey, Joe, you know, you need to cool it with this dream stuff. The, the other guys aren't going to like this. Well, sure enough, they didn't like it. One day, don't know why Joseph was not out uh, in the field with his brothers. They were taking care of the, the flocks. But his dad sent him to check up on them. Oh, by the way, another thing he did that they didn't like was when they were out of line and didn't do what their dad said, he tattled on them. So they really had a hatred for him. They saw him coming, and they said to each other, hey, here's our chance to get rid of the dreamer. That was their nickname for him. Let's kill him. Reuben, the oldest one, thought, hmm, that's not going to go well with dad. And so he had a sense of responsibility. And so he says, I, I have an idea. Let's just throw him in one of these big holes that had empty cisterns that would go dry, and they would just leave the big giant hole there. Straight walls on the side, nobody could climb out. Let's throw him in one of those deep pits. And so they said, oh, okay. And then after they ditched him and threw him in the pit, they all sat down to eat lunch. Read it in Genesis 37. They, you know, they throw their brother in there, and they're going to walk away and leave him to die. And the way they show their remorse is they sit down and have lunch. Reuben is gone somewhere, the Bible doesn't say. And this caravan comes along of traders on their way to Egypt. And they, and they get this bright idea, hey, let's make some money. After all, they say, he's our brother, we shouldn't kill him. Now get this, they sell him to slave traders who are headed to Egypt. That's okay to do to a brother. But it's not okay to kill him. I didn't figure that one out, but that was their logic. So they sell him. And when Reuben comes back, he doesn't know what to do because he was going to 
help him escape and take him back to dear old dad. But anyway, so here we have this guy, Joseph, who was the favorite son. He was top of the heap. All of a sudden, he's at rock bottom. On his way to Egypt to be a slave. Hebrew boy, special privileges. Now, no privileges. I want you to think with me. Was there a time in your life that you could describe as the sweet spot? In other words, things were going your way. As much as can happen in this life. All seems pretty right with the world. And then it all changed. Now you're like Joseph. You're stuck in Egypt. Well, it may not be today. It may have been in the past sometime. But just the thought of that, you have a picture come to your mind. Because if you've lived more than a few years, there's been some time when you've been stuck somewhere that you desperately didn't want to be or some circumstances. Maybe you lost a good job and now you're in a job that you hate or you wish you had a job to hate. Maybe you were in a, in a marriage and it just blew up out of the clear blue. You had no idea, didn't see it coming. Maybe you're, you're in great conflict with your family or close friends. Maybe you told God what you wanted in life and it seems like the exact opposite has been happening. I, I don't know what your Egypt looks like, but I can guarantee this. God understands it, and God knows exactly when and how to send us to Egypt. See, it's not an accident. When those things happen, when this happened to Joseph, God didn't say, oh, I didn't see that company. I, I didn't think the brothers would do that. God knew exactly what was going to happen, and he knows exactly what's going to happen in my life and in your life. And so when we go to Egypt, just like Joseph, just remember, it didn't surprise God. Now let's go back to Joseph's life and learn three lessons today. The first one is this. When you're stuck in Egypt, do your work with excellence. Here's why I say that. Now, we're going to look at Joseph's life and see how he did this. But I say that because my reaction, your reaction usually is we get angry, we rebel, we kick, we scream, we fall down on the floor and throw a little two-year-old tantrum, and we refuse to cooperate with God or those who are in authority over us in jobs or in our family or wherever. Let's look at what Joseph did, okay? So in Egypt... A guy named Potiphar, who happened to be the commander of Pharaoh's palace guard. So he was an important guy. This guy named Potiphar purchased Joseph. Joseph worked hard. He had integrity. He gained trust with Potiphar. The Bible doesn't say how long that took, but he gained trust with him. In fact, let's read about it and we'll see how God even blessed Potiphar. Now we're in Genesis chapter 39. Beginning at verse 1, you can follow in your Bibles or on the screen. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. See, all outward appearances would say, mm, God abandoned him. He let that little Hebrew boy who lived in Canaan uh, get 
stolen and taken off to Egypt, and no Hebrew boy should ever be in Egypt. It's a bad place. But the Bible tells us different. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Here's a a, a non-believer who realizes God's hand is on this young man, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. In other words, the only decisions he had to make in order to continue being blessed and to prosper was, do I want steak or chicken or seafood tonight? That's about the extent of it. So Joseph is getting promoted right up the ranks in Potiphar's household, but he's still stuck in Egypt. It looks like things are going well for him. He's on this roller coaster ride. You know, he was the favorite son, and he got sent to Egypt as a slave. Now he's the favorite slave... Something else is about to happen. Potiphar's wife liked Joseph. She liked him a lot. She tried to seduce him repeatedly. Didn't work because Joseph continued to say he did his work with excellence. He continued to say, I can't do this against my master and I can't sin against God. So one day she decided she she tore his coat off of him and then she screamed and called the others and said, the Hebrew slave tried to seduce me. So when her husband came home, she told him, Potiphar throws Joseph in prison. So he's back in the pit again. Let's watch what happens. Verse, uh, chapter 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Now, most of us kind of have this picture in our minds If God is with you and shows his faithful love, you're not going to end up in a stinky, smelly hole like their prisons were. Not what the Bible says, though. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Now, this guy works with excellence. He gets noticed immediately, very short time. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. He has great favor. He's promoted to the top of the heap in the the prison. But he's still stuck in Egypt. God didn't take him back home to Canaan, to his family, to his dad, where he could be the favorite son. But none of that kept him from working with excellence. I believe this. As I read Joseph's life, I believe he did everything as if he were doing it to the Lord. And I think that's the big takeaway for me. It's what God is teaching me. It's what God will be teaching me all of my life. And he's teaching that for all of us. If we'll do our work with excellence and just in our minds imagine, because it's the truth, 
that everything we do, we're really doing that to the Lord. And so when we work with excellence, we're doing our work excellently for the Lord Jesus Christ. Next lesson, the second one. When you're stuck in Egypt, be content in the Lord. Now let's track with Joseph here for a while, and we're going to see the contentment in God running through all of his work. We've already seen it, actually, in the way he's done his work with excellence, and he's worked for his masters and for the, for the prison warden. But let's continue to read. Chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. So these are servants who are very close to Pharaoh, and they made him angry. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night. Okay, here we have the dreamer, Joseph himself. These guys had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, and no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now, here's what happened. See, Joseph got this thing of God was in charge. He understood being content in the Lord. He understood uh, walking with God. He understood listening to God as well as obeying God. And so each of them told their dreams. And then Joseph gave them uh, the interpretation. And the first one, the cupbearer, he said, your dream uh, is that Pharaoh in three days is going to re- reinstate you. He's going to lift you back up to your position. And so then the baker got excited and said, tell me what my dream means. He said, well, in three days, there's going to be a change in your life too. Pharaoh's going to kill you. So it wasn't quite so happy for the baker, but both of those came true. Now, here, let's read it because Joseph is, is telling them. Uh, and you'll hear what he also says to the cupbearer. There's a clue here for us. Chapter 40, verse 12. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. Please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Oh, by the way, you're going to be back in Pharaoh's household. Uh, Remember the guy who, you know, got God's interpretation of the dream for you. He says, mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to to deserve it. Now, I believe Joseph has been content in the Lord in all of his circumstances. But being content in the Lord doesn't mean that you suddenly start calling wrong right. Things that are bad, you don't call them good. You don't cloud the truth. You're content in the Lord because you trust Him. So, he knew the situation was wrong, that he'd been wronged. He asked the cupbearer, hey, when you get to Pharaoh, remember me. 
But he is content in the Lord. Here's how I know he's content in the Lord, even though he doesn't want to stay in that prison. He has favor with that prison warden, with the other prisoners. And you just think about your workplace. If a person is always griping, complaining, bellyaching, screaming that they're a victim, that everybody's out to get them, hey, that person is nobody's favorite. That doesn't describe Joseph. Joseph was content in his God. And he knew that his God was still in control, even though the external circumstances didn't seem to say that. By the way, the only way to be content in the Lord in all of life is to have a relationship with him. Every person can have that relationship. It's a matter of realizing that we've sinned, that we need forgiveness, we need a Savior. That means someone to forgive us of those sins. And we need him to be the Lord of our life, that is, to take charge of our life. So you can begin a relationship with him as simply as confessing the sin, repenting. And uh, repent means just do a 180-degree turn. Turn away from your sin and turn to God and let him take control of your life and forgive you. The Bible says he forgives and then he adopts you into his family forever. That's what Jesus means when he says eternal life. Eternal means forever. That's how we can be content in the Lord because we, have a re- we start that by having a relationship with him. Now let's go on with the story. There's more dreams to come. So the, the cupbearer gets out. He goes back to work for Pharaoh, forgets Joseph immediately. Two years later, so Joseph is stuck in prison, stuck in Egypt, two more years, even after he asked the cupbearer to help him out. Pharaoh has two dreams one night, and he's asking all of his wise people what the dreams mean. Nobody can tell him. The cupbearer overhears, and he says, hey, there was this guy in prison named Joseph who told me what my dream meant, and he was right. So Pharaoh sends for him. They clean Joseph up, get new clothes on him, shave him, everything, get him ready to be presented to the Pharaoh. He goes in. Pharaoh tells him the dreams. First he says, nobody can interpret this. Joseph reminds that interpretation comes from God. And so he tells him his two dreams. And here's what Joseph says to him. Well, the two dreams are actually one. Here's what's going to happen. He says, you'll have seven years in Egypt where the the crops will be unbelievable. You're going to have huge harvests, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. Now, Joseph didn't just stop there because that wasn't all God said. He said all that God said to him. He said, so here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. Now, here's the guy who just came out of prison. He's not even an Egyptian, and he has the courage in God, he's content enough in his God, he's confident enough in his God that he just says, and by the way, Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. You need to appoint overseers over this, and each year the crops are going to be so huge that if you'll take 20% each year for those seven years, you'll have enough to see your people through the other seven years of famine. And he gave him enough detail and enough structure of what needed to happen. Pharaoh sensed Though he wasn't a God worshiper, he sensed that the Spirit, I believe, that the Spirit of God was in this man, and he immediately, on the spot, made Joseph second in command over all of Egypt. Unbelievable. So he's back back on top of the roller coaster again. 
And he, they, they dress him like an Egyptian. They give him gold chains of royalty. And the, king, the Pharaoh even gives him his signet ring. So, so anywhere Joseph goes, that's the official signal that he can do whatever he chooses because Pharaoh gave him that kind of power. They even give him a wife from a, an influential family. They're, they're trying to make him look like an Egyptian, but he's still a Hebrew, a young Hebrew man. Now he's 30 years old, 13 years later, 13 years he's been a slave and in prison. And even though it seems he's on top of the world, he's still stuck in Egypt, but he's content in the Lord. But notice God still didn't take him back to his homeland. Now, most of us would think, because we're, most of us are fairly family-oriented, and you know those are the values and those are the things, that if God really wanted to do this right, he would take him back to Canaan, his homeland, and reconcile with his family, and everything would be good again. But God knows things we don't know. Let's look at the third lesson from Joseph. When you're stuck in Egypt, trust the Lord to define what real blessings look like. In other words, if you have a blank canvas and someone says, paint a picture for me of what it would look like if God really, really blessed you. Now, all of us can begin to think. I I dare say many of you already began to think, oh, well, I would have this, and I would be doing that, and, and this situation with family or this situation with friends or whatever would be resolved. And we, we have things. We have the collage that we want to start putting inside that big frame and on that canvas that's blank. But let me challenge you to let God decide what real blessings look like instead of us handing God the picture and saying, God, here it is. Now get started doing this. That's kind of the way we approach it sometimes, isn't it? Maybe you don't, but I find myself doing that. Let's let him define what real blessings look like. I know this in Joseph's life, but reading between the lines. See, Joseph, now he didn't start living large and get on easy street. Uh, he, he continues to work with excellence. And he continues to be content in the Lord. Let's look at what happens to the crops. He just goes to work. Genesis 41, verse 46 says this. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. The first thing he did was he went to work with excellence. He was content. As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. He didn't measure God's blessing by his personal status or on the basis of being returned to his Hebrew family. Here's how I know. Look at what happens, beginning of verse 50 of chapter 41. During this time, before the first of the famine years, so during the seven good years, Two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. So an influential family. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. Now remember, we'll come back to this, but remember, names are a big deal. They mean something. 
For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Now here are the key to defining God's blessing. This is how I know Joseph let God define what his blessings were. His first son named Manasseh literally means forgetful. But it also means God has made me forget. He's naming his son. God's made me forget, he said, all my troubles. And he said, God has made me forget everyone in my father's family. In other words, all those who are responsible for all this last 13 years of misery. God's made me forget. Now, does that mean when someone would say, hey, what's your dad's name? He didn't respond with, uh, I don't remember. He knew his father's name. And if someone said, okay, you're a Hebrew, aren't you? Yes. How did you get to Egypt? Um, I don't really recall. He never said that. He knew exactly how he arrived in Egypt. He knew exactly whose, whose fault it was, who had done that to him. Here's what I believe he means by that. I think he means that God's presence, God's power, God's provision All those things were so real in his life and so sufficient that he was no longer consumed with anger, with frustration over the injustices he'd been through. Now, most of us would think, maybe I would think, hey, if I was second richest guy in the whole country, I could forget my family too. (laughs) But all you need to do to disprove that is stop and think. Think of people you know, people who have money, people who have made it and are doing well. But they have problems with family. There's hatred in their family. Maybe they were abused by a father. Maybe they were abused by some family member. All kinds of things. Going back to that love, acceptance, and affirmation of a family and of those closest. Even the wealthiest people still struggle with those things because every one of us are looking for that kind of love, that kind of acceptance, that kind of affirmation. So even if we were the second wealthiest person in the country, we wouldn't just automatically set that behind us. Only God can give you the gift of letting go of the past and look into the future, embracing the present, and just trust in Him. And so here's the question, I think when it comes to uh, letting God define blessings. Are we willing to let God's presence and His provision be everything in our lives and let go of the right to be treated fairly? Did you catch that? Are you willing to do like Joseph and let go of the right to be treated fairly and let God describe the blessings? his first son was named Manasseh because God gave him that gift of letting go of those rights and letting God's presence be enough that he could go on and be content in the Lord and forget those things. Second son was named Ephraim. It literally means double fruit. And he said, because God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Now, he knew this was the land of his grief. See, he hadn't forgotten that, literally hadn't forgotten it. But he's not just wearing rose-colored glasses. 
In, in the place where Joseph thought it was impossible to be fruitful as a believer in God, he found himself doubly blessed. In the same place there had been tons of grief, there was much blessing. Why? I believe because Joseph stayed faithful, worked with excellence, was content in the Lord, and waited patiently for God to paint the canvas with what blessing looked like in his life. About 20 years ago, God took me to Egypt. I was a youth pastor in a church in St. Louis, Missouri, 1992. I had been on the job six weeks, supposed to still be the honeymoon period. Uh, The new youth pastor and everything was going great. And one Friday, I got a phone call from a senior pastor. And he said, hey, here's what's happening. And we started dealing with it. And the more we began to dig, the more we uncovered outright, complete lies. But I went from being the new youth pastor everyone was excited about to being the guy that a whole bunch of them wanted to see fired. I don't know why they didn't get me fired. I think it was kind of like Joseph. God had me stuck in Egypt. He designed it before I ever went there, I believe, with all my heart. So for six months, that I recall no affirmation from anyone there. I began to plead with God for them to fire me. I was ready to be gone. I didn't care if I had just moved my family there and just purchased a home. I was ready to walk away from home and everything and just take my family and, and hit the road. But God left me in Egypt. Six months into that, end of June, uh, after church one day was out in the large foyer of the church, and I was going across the foyer to get some information for a guest who had asked for something, and a lady kind of grabbed my arm and said, hey, I'm praying for you. And I gave the typical, oh, hey, thank you. Uh, I was genuine in it, but I, I didn't know the depth of what she was trying to say. And then she grabbed my arm a little tighter and pulled me close and said, no, you didn't understand me. I mean, I know some of the junk that's going on here. You don't need to know how I know. All you need to know is every day, many times a day, I'm praying for you by name that God will see you through this. That got my attention. I said, you'll never know what that means to me today. I went back across the foyer, met with those guests, and did a few other things. People were dissipating And there were only two or three people left in the foyer of the church. And one of our young single adults named Julie said, Hey, I had your son in vacation Bible school this week. And she said something about um, him him knowing a lot about the Bible and stuff. Well, well, our older son, Matthew, was about fourth, fifth grade. He was right at that age that he, he was starting to know everything. He knew more than parents. He knew more than everybody. And so my immediate reaction was, oh, Julie, I hope he wasn't obnoxious and, you know, telling everybody like he knew everything. And she, she interrupted me and said, no, 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 that's not what I meant. What I mean is I watched your son for five days this week. And I became convinced that his mom and his dad love him and they love Jesus. 
And I just wanted you to know what a blessing it was to have him in my class. Now, then I began to weep, and I said, Julie, you'll never, ever know what that means to me on this day. So, feeling pretty affirmed, pretty good about myself, I walked out of the church, down the drive, headed across Clarkson Boulevard. A lot of cars there. The staff parked at a remote lot, a school lot, two blocks away, so everybody could have space to park. So I'm waiting for the cars to clear, going up and down Clarkson, feeling pretty good about myself. And God said, I could have done that any time in the last six months. And I thought, well, why didn't you? And he said, because you're more dependent on people's affirmation than you are on mine. Now, I'm looking up and down the street, and I don't remember the exact sequence of events here, but the slogan on our church sign says, Jesus is enough. Our slogan was, Jesus is enough to fill every hole in your heart. And all I saw was, Jesus is enough. And so somewhere in that mix, he also said, I'm not enough for you. Well, you know, that's getting on pretty dangerous ground. So I said, oh, no, 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 now, you know, uh, yes, you are, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 no, I'm not. And then the reminder of that I was more dependent on the affirmation of those people than I was on him. Hard lesson. God left me there another 18 months. It didn't get any more fun. It didn't get any better. But I can tell you this. The things God did in me to build character in me, to teach me how to love people who hated me, to teach me to pray for people who were trying to run me out of town, who were hateful to me and to others around me who I loved. I left that place two years after I got there. And I can honestly say when I left, some of the people who had offended me the most and friends of mine the most were people I could pray for and daily ask for God's will and God's best in their lives. And when I left there, I left without bitterness and without anger. If I had left at that six-month period, I might still be seething with anger. But I know this, what God did there, if he hadn't done that, I do not believe he ever could have brought me to Denver and to Pueblo, to Colorado, a place I love. I never want to go back to the Midwest, to the Bible Belt, to the humidity and the ticks and chiggers and all that stuff. But I don't believe Colorado would have ever been on the radar screen if I hadn't stayed in Egypt until God moved me somewhere else. Now, what about you? You may not be in Egypt today. Or you may think, I'm in Egypt, and I'm in the bottom of that prison. I don't know. But I do know this. During the course of, of this talk, God has been speaking to several people in this room. It may be that you need to start that relationship with the Lord Jesus in a few minutes when our prayer partners come, they would love nothing better than the privilege of helping you be introduced to Jesus and begin a relationship with him. Maybe you're in Egypt 
in some area, finances, family, whatever. I don't know. But you may today be the one that God has already been prompting to let somebody pray with you, bear your burden a little bit, add their faith to your faith to help you know what God's doing while you're in Egypt.